This is Mental, the podcast to destigmatize mental health. I'm Bobby Temps. I'm Danny Hogan. Each Thursday, we delve into a factor or condition that influences the mind and how to better manage it. With special guests and stats you can trust, here we go. This week's episode is a really special one to me. And this week's intro to said episode is going to be an extra short one because I recently lost my voice, which is something that happens to me a lot more as a podcaster than in the times before. And so I wanted to start off by mentioning that because A, I still sound croaky to me and I don't know whether that will come across on the audio. And B, it's a good thing, I think, to put a pin in because this is generally a sign that I've been overloading a little bit on the work front and I need to take some rest and so that's very much why I'm planning to get a quick intro sorted for this episode and then get back to resting in silence which when this does happen probably every few months I do try and lean into it as an opportunity for self-care and in a way there's a kind of meditative quality that can come from me spending time in silence and just communicating in other ways or just sort of finding space in the isolation that silence can create, finding a a positive there to sort of disengage. And yeah, it's suitably surreal as somebody that is generally very chatty. But I wanted to make sure to say something about that because there can be times when we get so caught up in all the things we need to do And sometimes things happen in terms of our health to remind us, okay, slow down. Does all of this need to be done today? And oftentimes the answer is no. And there's a big difference between that versus times when I can want to put things off forever. And that's maybe more of a sign that the depression is rearing up. Anyway, that being said, a very special episode today with one of our first ever guests on the podcast, Fisky, who's a musician and spoken word artist who has a really exciting project, which I've, as a mate, been hearing a lot about behind the scenes. And so I'm so delighted that we're able to talk about that today. I'm not going to give any spoilers, but also we're going to go back and revisit some of the experiences Fisky's had in terms of recovery and the turbulence that can be such a part of that and I think it's always worth reminding ourselves even if we can think we're really clued into mental health and god knows I try to be you can still find yourself falling into patterns of judgment and thinking oh this isn't going as smoothly as I thought or why are these symptoms coming up again am I backsliding and the reality is the turbulence the ups and downs teaches you I think as much about recovery as as the smooth days do, as the breakthroughs do. And so in the episode, we really get into a lot of that nuance of it's not an easy journey. It's not always a straightforward journey, getting better in terms of our recovering when it comes to mental illness. However, it's so worth it. There's a lot that can be done and there's a lot of strength we can find within ourselves which is really, as you'll hear if you've heard Fisky on the show before, a big part of how they were able to get through. Through finding creative outlets, often at times when there wasn't other help available. And so this is a lovely full circle moment to get to catch up with a friend and also the timing of this episode. When we were planning it, we were just trying to find a day that that could work for recording And it ended up being the one we settled on was the anniversary of Fisky's mum's passing. And so this episode was recorded on that day. And so there was an interesting contrast of the time warp that can be life, where you look back on your experiences and things can sometimes come together at timing that feels very apt, even if that wasn't the plan. (laughs) Is this making any sense? Look, guys... This episode means a lot to me. You'll get it or you won't, because I know it's very personal to me. But there's so much to gain from this episode. And thank you 
as ever, for continuing to listen. It means I get to come off the mic now, go see how many cough sweets I can fit in my mouth. No, not really. I'm going to play fate with the instructions. But I get to recluse into silence and rest my voice. Hopefully I won't lose it again. Knowing that so many people are out there listening to our work, whatever's happening, whether I'm having a good day or bad, is always something nice to think about. So thank you for showing up. Thanks for being here, thinking of your own mental health. Look after yourself too, please. That's all I have to say for today's intro. Please enjoy this conversation with Fisky in a moment. But first, who's our sponsor? Let's find out. Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. Hello, my name's Fisky. One of the most early experiences of mental health for me was losing my mother to cancer on Valentine's Day, 1997, when I was 16 years old. And in the lead up to that, did you have an idea of how bad she'd got? Yeah, it was like, it was a, it was a long illness. So she had cancer once, but they didn't tell us, me and my sister. But then it came back and it was terminal, like a year later, I think. So, yeah, eventually they, they had to tell us. I think I was 16, maybe early 17. My sister was two years older. But, yeah, that was, that was really the start of, of everything for me, mm-hmm. like mental health-wise and addiction-wise and just, yeah, losing the plot, basically, <laughs> for a long time. And have you got to talk to people close to you about that time in terms of, like, why you weren't told certain things sooner? Not really. It's not something we discuss, and anyone who I could really discuss it with has also passed away now. So, you know, I think they were just trying to protect us. Mm-hmm. To be honest, we were teenagers. You know what I mean? They didn't want to tell us our mum had cancer and worry us when they thought it might be all right. You know yeah. what I mean? The first time. Yeah. No. So of I think, course. I mean, that's what you hope that it that she gets better, and then you could have the conversation later. I can, yeah, I can understand, even if that wasn't necessarily helpful to you in certain ways. Well, there's, there's something that people say that one way or another, your parents will traumatise you, do you know what I mean? Whether they're alive or when they die. Mm-hmm. Like, somewhere along the line, they're going to traumatise you in some way. <laughs> do you know what I mean? It's, it's kind of unescapable, I think. And... Prior to this, were certain things talked about in the household in terms of like people struggling with with illness, like physically or or indeed mental health wise? Not really. I grew up in the nineties, so mental health wasn't really spoken. I mean, it was there, but it wasn't. My experiences of it, counselling and stuff back then, was awful, and it just wasn't spoken about like as much as it is now. Mm-hmm. And you know, you sort of grow up seeing certain things and you don't find out until a lot later that you know certain family members have been struggling do you know what I mean but you don't find that out until much later until you understand you know what I mean or or until they're ready to talk about it so yeah and we don't have the context and it's easy to even end up being accidentally stigmatizing in your outlook then because there might be behavior around you that you don't understand you don't have the tools to understand it yet you don't have the information about what's going on for them and then I've definitely had yeah. that experience where you look back as an adult and you know a bit more and you're like, oh, actually, there were people in my life who were going through the same things as me. There were people even like who were going to counselling and like keeping it a secret. And I don't think I was ever somebody that you couldn't tell that to. But also I wasn't having those conversations. I wasn't brought up to talk about certain things. Yeah. Definitely. I think like, well, I grew up in the 90s. It was like, it, we didn't talk about it. Mm-hmm. So we didn't know what it was. Like, but when, when my mum died, I was severely depressed, but I didn't know. 
I didn't know what that feeling was. Yeah. I was like, I'm a, I'm a man. I'm not supposed to be sad. I'm supposed to go out and fight someone or do some drugs or drink. Like, that's what we were taught through, not even taught. It's just like a, it was just like a thing that no one told me to do it. Mm-hmm. That's just what I went to. Do you know what I mean? I don't know. It's, yeah, yeah. it's very confusing. But that's what, I, it's a long time ago. So that's kind of how I remember it. It was like just being a teenage boy. Do you know what I mean? I think it's confusing sometimes. And at 16 years old, you're going through what teenagers go through. Like there was bullying whilst my mum was dying. There was like, I was smoking a lot of weed. Just, you know, doing GCSEs. It was a lot going on. And then you put your mum dying of cancer on top of that. And it's just, I don't know, like how do you understand that? Do you know what I mean? It's like losing someone at, at any age is horrific. But, you know, I don't know. For me, it was obviously because I did lose my mum at that age. That's my only experience one of the experiences my first experience with, with loss mm-hmm. yeah it's just confusing and I just went straight to anger because that's yeah that's what I knew yeah and I think you've hit on it there about how we don't even need to be explicitly told this is what you do instead if you're only seeing certain options and there's a lack of certain conversations around struggle then you're going to go for whatever option you see and if that's going off the rails, then you're like, okay, well, I don't see what else I do, but I do see that. It's almost like it was finding comfort in chaos. Yeah. Because like, nothing made sense. I couldn't make sense of anything. Like, anyone around me couldn't help. My dad was struggling. My sister moved away. So I was like, all right, well, this is just what life is now. Let's, let's embrace it. And I did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> For a long time. And also there can be like a strange familiarity of that, that I've even had to like unlearn as I've got older of chaos being something that I recognise and I know how to thrive in in some strange ways. And so you can almost find yourself bringing it back into your life at certain points or certain challenges come up. And then it's getting to a place where I'm like, oh, actually, that's not a real coping mechanism. And it only... It only ever sort of sort of felt like it helped, and I've probably outgrown it now. Yeah, I can relate to that. I think for me, it was after my mum. There was a lot of other people that passed away, and it got to the point when when I started writing about it, like poems and songs. A lot of people would say, "God, why do you write about loss so much? Like so depressing and all this." I'm like, first of all, you're talking about my dead family. Second of all, it's what I know. Third of all, that's my life, and also I was like. If I, if I let go of this, if I let go of all this loss, what am I left with? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? That, that's how I felt. I was like, I, can't, I wrote a line about it recently. I can't remember what it was exactly, but that's how I felt. It's like, what, what happens if I do let go of that? That means they're gone. It's like losing loss in a way. Do you know what I mean? It was like, it was such a defining part of my life for so long. There was, it became comfortable, I think, in a way. Yeah. I'm kind of desensitized to it now like it's not that I don't care if someone passes away but I don't know it's just it doesn't affect me as, as much as it used to I'm, that might be a, a coping mechanism I mean, it does affect me inside but I don't I don't tend to cry anymore because part of me is just like you know what there's so many people up there now or wherever they are that they're not alone and it, it can't be any worse than living here do you know what I mean I kind of see it in a different way to how I used to and how a lot of people I think see death but it definitely if you go through anything enough you will become desensitised to it yeah you just get used to it do you know what I mean and for me that was losing people which you know it can come across as cold I suppose to some people but that's really not the intention it's kind of just like ugh again do you know what I mean yeah I deal with it in my own way and pay respects in my own way but it's just a bit like I was tired of being sad for so long, do you know what I mean? Now it's a bit like, I try and celebrate life now instead of celebrate how long they were here for and what they achieved and what they did and who they were, do you know what I mean? Instead of just being so upset all the time. Yeah, I get you. And I think part of that is there can be a sort of monotony in traumas that reoccur a certain amount of times in your life where you can find yourself going through the motions of being like, okay, another person has passed, I know what the rituals around this are. I know what my role is. I've done a certain amount of grieving. And so you can almost go into that sort of 
somewhat desensitised state of like, okay, we get on with the practical side of things. Yeah. And you're not perhaps... It can seem cold. I don't know, maybe I'm just dead inside, who knows? <laughs> no, I think, I think I can kind of relate to it, though, that you, you know, that it doesn't stop you in your tracks. There's not the same shock to it that there might have been when it was your mum, you know? Yeah, definitely. It definitely got to that point, right? And it's not a nice place to be, but... And it probably sounds worse than it is. Like, it's not like I don't care, do you know what I mean? It's just like I, I react differently to it. Yeah, I get what you mean, definitely. And... I want to circle back to what it was like trying to kind of process these feelings because it sounds like maybe part of the the kind of the exploring grief through your work was a way to, I mean, I know because we've talked about it obviously before, but I know that was a way of processing it. But do you feel like it was also partly to do with, okay, how do these people remain in my life? The first song I ever wrote was called 10 Years. It was written... 10 years after my mum passed away because to be honest I I always wanted to talk about it mm-hmm. but you know when I was a kid when I was a teenager all my friends were teenagers they didn't know what to say or do they, no one had lost anyone my sister had moved away she dealt with things a lot differently to me I think her reaction to it was our mum was 50 she played hockey for England she was doing cartwheels she gets cancer I think my sister was like right I'm going to go see the world and my reaction was to destroy myself People react in different ways. And yeah, my my dad was struggling a lot. He didn't talk about it a lot. So it was like, it really got to the point when the reason I started writing was just because I had no one to talk to about it that understood. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? For so long, for like 20 years. I mean, there were conversations here and there, but I just got to the point where I was like, I'm just going to write down what I'm thinking and what I'm feeling. And that's really how I didn't ever want to be a poet or a rapper. Like, I had no interest in it. But when I started doing that and I'd just like write my thoughts down and then I'd go back and like try and use more creative words. That's how it started for me. It was literal, literal therapy. Mm-hmm. Like, because it's like poetry and stuff is used in therapy nowadays. Yeah. All it is, is like when I, f- <laughs> yeah, I think that was what it is for me. It was just a way of me being able to express myself to myself because I couldn't do it to anyone else. If that makes sense. No, of course it does. And that is a big part of the therapeutic process is getting these things out. And if you can find words for complex traumas and emotions that you're feeling, then it can make it somewhat more manageable. And then over time, you get better at expressing and better at picking these things apart and reassessing. And then, you know, certainly for me, you then reach points in your therapeutic journey where you you can look back and be like oh I'm reacting to things differently than I used to I'm navigating things better and a lot Mm. of that is you know taking this stuff out of your brain and whether that's writing it down or or speaking it out to somebody yeah I think what what has words kind of has shape and maybe we can sort of reshape from there yeah I think that's the basis of it, it and I think that's something that you found very organically through your work and you found ways to like do something with it not just get it out but then over time you're like okay but I have a passion for this and there is ways that I can work at my art and really craft something out of these experiences and so that's why I sort of like nearly chuckled to me. I think so. Mm -hmm. I think I don't do anything unless it feels right. Do you know what I mean? And with that when I started doing that I didn't tell anyone for years but then I started putting it out. People started liking it. People also, there was a lot, to be honest, in the beginning, there was a lot of, oh, Fisky wants to be a rapper and, you know, all this sort of stuff, like mm-hmm. negative stuff. People said to me, why do you keep doing it? Like, you're never going to make it. You're never going to do anything with it. And now look, if I'd listened to them, yeah. do you know what I mean? What I'm doing now. And it was always, there was times I questioned it. I was like, are they right? Are they right? But I always had this feeling in my gut that I was doing it for the right reasons. I never wanted to be a famous rapper or, or poet, do you know what I mean? I never wanted that. I just wanted to stay alive and just, just write my thoughts down. So that's what kept me going through it all. All of the negativity, all of the, the piss-taking, the, do you know what I mean? Yeah. As long as you've got that, it doesn't matter what people think at all, in any way. As long as you know it and you're doing it for the right reasons, it's irrelevant what people think. 
It's yeah. hard. In the moment, it's hard. But it, was, it wasn't easy. I'm not saying it's easy. But you've really got to know that you believe it in yourself and you're not lying to yourself. I think that's important because you can fool yourself sometimes. We all do it. Yeah. And with practice of zoning a certain amount of that out, you do become better at seeing it for what it is and how like warped mm. and biased other people's perceptions are. Because I had to sort of chuckle when you mentioned about people saying like, why are you writing about this stuff? And it's like, what's the alternative? You write about your ex that's like moved on <laughs> and was, is with someone new. Do you know what I mean? Like music doesn't, yeah. ne- doesn't need to have a topic that makes sense. It's whatever resonates. You know, if you have something that you've got enough emotion to say something about, then surely other people people, can connect to that too. People tend to write about their experiences. Like uh, my thing was always like, why do I write about this? Because that's been my life since I was 16. Like, what do you want me to write about? Mm. Like, can't you write a happy song? No, I'm not Pharrell. I'm trying, but I'm not Pharrell. (laughs) I I don't want to write about that. I don't want to. Yeah. Because that's not been my experience. And what what is a happy song? Do you know what I mean? I don't really understand. But also, Pharrell yeah. didn't start off with that. There you go. You know? Yeah, I think some of the best art comes from the dark places, the pain. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I and think that's very that. healing, both for the artist, but also the audience, to find the universality of, like, how relatable personal shit can be. Mm. and realising, oh, people do get this. I mean, I even get it through this show. When I started, I thought I had a very niche experience relating to, like, mental health and a lot of things in my life. And it's mad to, like, still get emails from people all the time that really connect to certain conversations we have. And even at this point, it still surprises me of, like, oh, that thing wasn't just an only me thing. Yeah, I think that's the beauty of it. Like, I felt so alone for so long, man, like, literally felt like no one understood, like no one I knew had lost anyone. Mm-hmm. It wasn't until I started Mind of a Matter that I realised that everyone struggles. Like, yeah, it started with my story, but it's everyone's story. Everyone struggles. Everyone's grieving someone or something. And if you're not, you, you will be at, at some point. There's no escaping it. Yeah. Or you'll be the cause of grief for someone else. Like, So it's all, you know, we're all human. We all have the same feelings. We deal with them in different ways, but... Yeah, that's something that really opened up for me was like, I'm not alone, finally. Do you know what I mean? (laughs) Other people have lost people. But, yeah. 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 And how much do you think, we've talked a bit about, like, the sort of culture you grew up amongst, how much did you think, like, expectations of what it is to be male played into, like, how I can behave around this grief? Obviously, you grew up with, like, I grew up with, like, the action movies, you know what I mean, like Die Hard and all the cowboy films my dad used to watch, the westerns. And, you know, no one sits you down and goes, right, this is what you have to do to be a man. You know what I mean? It's just things you pick up. And just how you are as, as a boy growing up into being a teenager, into being a man, like, it's just something inside us. I don't know what it is. Like, I can't, it's hard to explain, as I'm sure a lot of people find. Like, it's, it's just the way things go. And I think a lot of it is just, is a part of growing up and maybe doing these things and then realising later, that didn't work. Let's try something else. Do you know what I mean? That's how it was for me. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of it's peer pressure, to be honest. People not knowing what to say. So you just sort of say, don't worry about it. I'm fine. But my dad never sat me down and went, right, you've got to never say anything to anyone. Do you know what I mean? It's just the way he was from from growing up and being a man. He didn't like to talk about things like that. As, yeah. as far as I, as far as I'm concerned, like he was never uncaring at all. He was a great dad, but we didn't have many deep and meaningful conversations. I think we had like probably two the entire time because it was it's hard to talk about, man. And we were very similar in a lot of ways. So, yeah, yeah. I think it's a lot of it. I'm just going to say it's all very confusing and hard to explain. Yeah, and I think in many ways we're sort of set up to fail in that way of like, okay, the long list of things to not do as a guy. And then you wonder like, okay, who am I if I deviate from this very narrow window I'm expected to live within? And I think that's a part of like how I've made sense of it is that a lot of this comes from fear, like fear of expressing emotions, fear of being seen as an outsider, fear of your masculinity being questioned, your place in society being questioned. Like, literally, who are you 
if you don't fit in the man box or if you don't deviate from the man box but have a perfectly adequate way to explain it. And do any of us have those things as a kid? You know, I mean, depending how stereotypical you want to get with it, we can just be set up to fail from the jump because what is it to be male? A lot of people think stereotypes like having a deep voice. Well, as a boy, you don't have a deep voice. Mm. What do you have? Emotions, but you're not allowed them. And I think that's why, like, fear is the one that I think a lot of it comes back to. Because what do you do if you're fearful of fear? Oftentimes, you plough it into anger, into aggression, into keep away from me, back off. Yeah, definitely, because you don't, I didn't understand. That's what I did. I didn't understand. Like, I knew I was sad, but I didn't think I was allowed to be sad. Mm-hmm. And I didn't understand it, and I didn't know why it wasn't going away. Do you know what I mean? It just made me angry. And when you get a group of teenagers, especially, or young men, there's a lot of testosterone flying about. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's like trying to outdo each other, like show off. So I think it's just part of growing up, man, is what I'm starting to think. Just the experience. Some of it. And like I said, you don't know what's going on for them. You know, like one of my best mates I kind of alluded to earlier, like he was going through counselling while we were at school together. I never knew at the time. Like you just don't Exactly. So imagine like you've got like a group of like, a group of boys or men running about and they've all got stuff going on, but no one's talking to each other. No one's telling each other. This just happened. And everyone's just angry. And then you meet another group of men or boys that are just the same. Everyone's angry and no one knows why. There's a lot of confusion. There's a lot of anger. And then that's how it all starts. Like someone could just look at you and that kicks everything off. Yeah. And everyone's like, why are we fighting? No one knows why they're fighting. They're just fighting. <laughs> it's just madness. Like, Yeah, got to do something. All this testosterone. Yeah. And it's just like, I saw it happen so many times. And it's just like, yeah, I think we just need to talk to, to young men. Mm-hmm. And let them know that there are spaces. Don't force them because I remember as a young man, I didn't want to listen to anyone. I had no interest in it. Because I'm not interested. Don't tell me what to do. Leave me alone. That was it. But I think this generation coming up now is a lot better equipped from what I'm seeing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we just need to let them know that, you know, there are people you can talk to now. And, you know, it's not something you have to go back and tell all your mates about. But as long as you can get it out somewhere... You're a little bit better equipped to deal with it. There's always going to be people that you can talk to. And Mm. you do an incredible job of building that through community. You know, like the community that you've built around you. We were talking off air about all the incredibly supportive people in your life. But then you also like share that ethos through Mind Over Matter. You know, bring people through together through events empower people to get up on the stage whether they come from a background of storytelling or music or whatever else or whether they don't you know there is a space to share your story and for that to be valid and heard and people clap at the end whether they liked it or not yeah I mean that's the thing it's like that's what I think was missing in my life was that not being judged being able to say to someone this is how I'm feeling and this is why I think and I only really have one rule at Mind Over Matter, besides the open mic. But my, the only rule I really have is I don't want to hear any apologies. Like, don't get up here. I mean, if you want to, you can. I'm not here to tell you what to do. <laughs> but I would prefer it if you get up and do a poem about depression or grief. Like, I've done it before. You get up and say, oh, God, I'm so sorry. I'm gonna, This is really depressing. I don't want to ruin the vibe. I don't want to hear that at Mind Over Matter. We get so much of that shit outside. Do you know what I mean? And I've done it before. And it's, it's like a natural reaction to like warn people. Like trigger warning is fine. I get it. But don't get up here and apologise for having a feeling. Like we don't apologise when you're happy. It's just yeah. a feeling. That's how I see it. And that's the only thing that I really say at the event before Miss Yankee goes into the open mic rules, which there are rules for, for reasons. <laughs> but yeah, that's the only one I have, man. Just don't apologise for how you feel. Yeah. That's it. And we've had people like, we have people express through poetry, hip-hop, singing, we have some of the most powerful performances haven't even been performances. It's just people getting up and talking about their experience. Like just talking, just telling us about their experience. Doesn't rhyme, doesn't do anything. And that, those have been some of the most powerful things where the whole room just supports them and holds them. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's like, 
Sometimes you need that and you can't find it in your own life. You can't find it at home. You can't find it in your relationship. You can't find it at work. So these events are just trying to fill in some of those gaps that I felt growing up and it seems like a lot of people needed it too. Of course. Because what is the alternative, mate? Like, in the extreme. My life. (laughs) (laughs) But for real, like, the alternative in its extreme is that your right to exist and be any semblance of yourself is dependent on you having the right emotions. And that is not a world that I want to live in, that you've got to, like, be happy all day. Like, that's like something out of Black Mirror, that you're going to be, like, secluded from society if you're not smiling 24-7. Like, positive vibes only. I'm sorry, but it winds me up. Positive vibes only. What? It's not real. You're a liar. Stop it. Mm. That's how I feel about it. I feel it's dangerous. I really do. Positive vibes only. It's just like... (laughs) Oh, man, it winds me up. And you feel so, it off those people. I don't know what, how what you're saying. When you say that, what you're saying is you're not allowed to be unhappy. It's not, you're a human. You're going to be unhappy. And if you're not, you're lying. You're a liar. And that's it. It's simple. Like, it really does annoy me, that whole positive vibes thing. Because it's just not, it's not realistic. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, it's good to, it's good to be positive. It's good, but you can't be that all the time. Like, and it, you can tell when someone is doing that. And it's just like, it's all right, man, just... Well, exactly. You can talk about it. It's and fine. I'm, you don't have to be that guy all the time. Yeah, I'm intuitive enough that I can feel it off people. I can feel the effort they're putting into coming across only a certain way. It's not real. It's fake. Like, you can see it. I see it straight off the bat. I'm like, oh, man, do you want to chat? You all right? <laughs> That's what I want to say to him. Oh, That's yeah. Right, Those people don't like me <laughs> because I, I connect to them in a real way. And they're like, no, no, I'm, I'm busy pretending. <laughs> yeah, I just don't, I don't have time for it, man. I only deal with truth yeah. right nowadays. You know, if it works for you, then who, you know, who am I to say don't do it? But it doesn't make any sense to me. It's, it's literally just saying you're not allowed to be sad, which is what I dealt with for 20 years. And I'm not doing it anymore. Yeah. And I'm not going to justify it or allow it anywhere near me or what I do. Um, for you then personally, do you think going through the process of your writing, your music, creating Mind Over Matter, how much have you become more yourself doing that? Is that, is that a fair question? I think for a long time, I was the version of myself that I thought I had to be. Like from what we talked about earlier with masculinity to going to uni to being in a corporate job afterwards. Like, but all the time I was like, I hate this. I hate everything about this. Like every job I've ever had, I hated. Like before uni, after uni, before I got into what would end up being my career that I left to start Mind of a Matter, or would end up starting Mind of a Matter afterwards. And there was, it was, I mean, some of it was fun. Uni was fun. Well, working in media was fun, but there was always a part of me that felt like I couldn't be myself, especially in that corporate atmosphere where you can't just 100% be yourself mm-hmm. because of pro- professionalism, which... I don't know, in a way to me, is just being someone you're not. Do you know what I mean? And I struggle with that a lot, especially with, with people trying to tell me what to do because yeah. they earn more money than me. And I was just like, I don't come from this. Like, it's weird for me. Like, don't be rude to me because you earn more money. I don't care who you are. Yeah. And that's probably why I didn't progress very far. In- <laughs> After one, I can't do it, man. Yeah. Because I was getting to the point where I was so miserable and so unhappy that I just had to be myself. I couldn't do it. I'll respect you as long as you respect me. But besides that, I'm not doing it anymore. And when I left where I was working and got sober first time, I went to like one of my friends from that industry's birthdays. I think it was like a year afterwards. I'd be doing a bit of mind over matter. I was sober. It was the first. I knew going back to that environment was going to be difficult to see all the people I used to drink with every day for so long. And just before I left, because like... Everyone's get starting to get drunk. And I was like, I need to go now because this is going to be bad if I could stay here. And one guy that I used to work with just come up to me afterwards and was like, you know what? I always felt like you couldn't be yourself at work. But now what you're doing is amazing. And that, then he just walked off and I went home. And it really hit me because then I realized that I hadn't been myself. Like to an extent I had been. I was still writing and stuff like that. But like I said, there was always that part of me that was like trapped. I have to do this and I have to do that because of the company's policies and clients. And oh, I struggle with it, man. But now what I'm doing now, I can 100% be myself and it's all right because that's the main message. 
just be yourself. So it's, it's all right. It's fine. <laughs> like, do you know what I mean? And I understand that people have to go back to those jobs. And I probably will at some point as well, because being a self-employed poet is not working out, if I'm honest with you. I miss eating and buying clothes and stuff like that. But it's good to have, to know that you have these spaces outside of that. If you do have to be in that environment, or if you want to be in that environment, like it's good to know that there are spaces like this that, you know, when you need to. If you want to go to a poetry event in London, you can go to two every single day if you wanted to. Mm-hmm. Like there is so many. And it's not just Mind Never Matter, it's, it's any poetry event, do you know what I mean? That has that environment. So yeah, it's good that, you know, people have families and responsibilities and stuff like that, do you know what I mean? So you'd have to earn money. But it's good to know that, you know, if you need it, it's there. Yeah. Yeah. And I think both of us can see how arbitrary a lot of that stuff is, the like corporate policies. And a lot of workplaces, I think, are catching up more now, you know, in terms of like mental health support, in terms of empowering people to bring themselves to work, because ultimately it's better all round because you can have all the bureaucratic policies in the world. But what they often miss is being a good person being fun to work with, you know, the stuff that people actually care about interacting with their colleagues. Like you can you can follow all the right hierarchical procedures, but if you're horrible to deal with, I don't think those procedures are helping anyone because otherwise, I, what I are we doing? That, I know? think that is like just being in that environment. It made me like that. I was not easy to deal with, man. Like who asked anyone to try to manage me? Mm-hmm. But I was miserable outside and then I had to come in and put all this stuff that I hadn't dealt with, put it to the side, and then be someone else. Do you know what I mean? It's like, I can't just walk in the door and things change. And that caused issues. I'll be honest with you, a lot of people were very good there. It wasn't a bad experience at all, but I just, in my in myself, started to really struggle with this and this. Do you know what I mean? The, the two worlds that, it's just exhausting. Do you know what I mean? Just being, I understand, you know, it's, it's a corporation there, reason for existing is to make money that's their priority and I get that but I just couldn't be a part of it anymore I was just like I can't do this like that's it and that being that miserable in that environment will make you hard to deal with because I didn't care mm-hmm. do you know what I mean I, like, I don't care about this but you know saying that some of the best people I've ever met I met in that job that I still talk to now like so many creative people were in media it was not about the people the people was what kept me there for so long it was just the, the higher up corporate things. I was like, oh, yeah. But since then, I've done a, I've done work with like BBC, ITV. They've opened up spaces, and I've gone in and and talked and performed like, and it's like a poetry event, but in the ITV building, like which was almost unheard of as far as I'm concerned. Like to open up that space and have mm-hmm. people expressing themselves, and like there were tears and stuff. Like I never saw anything like that where I worked. But you're right, it's definitely, definitely, definitely getting a lot better, which is good. And it doesn't have to be, you know, like I said, their their priorities to make money, but that's cool. That's fine. But let's have these spaces in there as well, just in case someone's struggling. Mm -hmm. And if we circle back to our theme, where are you at, do you think, at this point in terms of recovery? And what's that? I'm trying to find a different word for journey because I find I say it too much. But (laughs) (laughs) what has your journey been like? (laughs) In terms of recovery, well, like we spoke about before, I started Mind of a Matter 2017 to get sober. That was the idea after 20 years of addiction coming from all the grief and loss and all that stuff. And I did 18 months. I signed up for two. I put the, the first event on two months in advance just as a one-off event, that was my intention. Stay sober. I was unemployed, so I was trying to find a job and just get my head clear. And, you know, that was the intention, raise some money for a charity. But then after the first event, everyone was like, when's the next one? That was so powerful. And it was powerful, man. Like for me, for people that were there, people that knew me, people that had never met me. Like there was something different about, because I did a couple of events in Camberwell before, mm-hmm. which were, were cool and that, but it wasn't the same thing. And it's, it felt... There was something different about this one. And I was like, well, I'm on universal credit. Who's paying for this? Because it's expensive to put these events on. But I made it happen because I saw what it meant to people. And I felt like I'd finally found a home. But then we did 18 months, did all this stuff. End of 2018, I think it was, we did an event at City Hall in London with the backing of the mayor and, and all sorts. 
But then that Christmas, I found myself alone for like 10 days. And I was like, fuck this. Can I swear? Mm-hmm. And I just, I, just, I just had enough of it. I felt like I had to stay sober for other people because of where it came from and, and the story I told. And it became quite a lot of pressure. Like people would, would say, no, you can't fall off the wagon. You can't. The essence of mind of a matter is you being sober. I was like, I, that's too much. I didn't sign up for this. Mm-hmm. So I think there's a part of me because I'm such a stubborn so-and-so sometimes. I was like, ha, okay. <laughs> I'm going to drink and do drugs. I'll show you. And I did. And then uh, I felt bad because of where it came from. I didn't say anything for a while. But eventually I put a post up. And I was worried because I was talking to Miss Yankee about it at the time. And she understood where I was coming from. But at the same time, she was like, don't worry about everyone else. This is, this is about your recovery. Like, but then I put a post up and everyone was so supportive, man. Like, it shocked me in a way. Because I thought in my head, it was like, well, that's it. I messed everything up. Mind of a matter's over. But then it's kind of like, well, hang on. It's not just about you. Like, if someone goes to rehab and gets clean for 18 months and then falls off the wagon, they don't shut the rehab. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And it took me a while to get my head around that because I was so close to it and it's so personal. But everyone was so supportive. And then I got back on the wagon, I think, for six months. Then we went to Australia and did an event in Melbourne and got back and I was unemployed again. The jet lag ruined me. Like, Miss Yankee was fine. She's like a machine. (laughs) But I got there and didn't really get over the jet lag until the day of the event, which was 10 days after we got there. And then got home and got jet lagged again. I was unemployed and I was like, oh my God, (laughs) I'm back where I was in 2017. And I never really got back on it after that. I might have done a few months. I think in total, I did about three year, two years out of five since I started Mind Never Matter. It's nowhere near as bad as it used to be. I'm not, I don't drink for the same reasons I used to. You know, addiction is complicated. No, there are definitely some people that can't ever drink again. And, I, and for a while, I did think that was me. And there's definitely a point with drinking that I'm aware of now mm-hmm. when, I, when I need to stop. I don't always listen to it. Sometimes I do go back to it because it's familiar. But like you said, it's the journey. I know that word, we say it too much. But it is, it's all, part of, it's all part of the journey, I think. And I've never had, still to this day, I've not had a lot of professional help because of the experiences I had earlier. I'm 41 years of age now. A part of me, is, it's just age, mate. Like, I just can't do it like I used to. That's part of it, honestly. Mm. I can't go out for three days in a row and drink and do drugs continuously and be fine. Like, if I drink and that sort of stuff now, it takes me a week to get over it. Like, yeah. I think a part of it really is just age that is going to make me stop doing it in the end. But yeah, that's kind of where I'm at. Like, it's not, it's nowhere near as bad as it used to be. I don't drink or do anything because I'm sad anymore. But yeah, that's kind of where I'm at with it. Yeah, I think that really shows, though, the danger of having like a fixed concept of somebody. And this can happen a lot in our, like, modern times. I think social media is a factor. I think having any kind of, like, notability as somebody that people look up to is a factor. And we can get to this place where we expect somebody to remain the same. And it's toxic in so many ways. Not only that's not how people work, you know, that particularly when it comes to mental health, there are ebbs and flows. But also, I think that can cut us off from a lot of growth. Yeah, you know, it doesn't they're... leave any room for growth, does it? It's like, you've, you're this. Like, because I think with me, people saw this version of me and was like, this is the best version of you that has ever existed. Mm-hmm. Let's stay here. Yeah. And I was like, I don't know how I feel about it. <laughs> and <laughs> like, it doesn't end there. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's like, it kind of stops you from, from growing anymore. And the reality is there can be a very natural zigzag to get to that, that next version of, you know, who is the best you on that day. No one's one thing. Do you know what I mean? No one's one version. Like, everyone has different sides to them. We all get angry. We all get sad. We all get happy. Like, we all do things that we know we shouldn't do. Do you know what I mean? But we like to because it's familiar. We know it's bad for us, but, you know, it's just sort of finding either the program, which works. It hasn't worked for me, but it works for a lot of people. AA and stuff like that. You know, which is really helpful, man. But it's just finding what works for you and what you want to do some some people never come out of it so i mean that's a reality as well mm-hmm. some people never even try to come out of it yeah it's all it's all very complicated 
Yeah, but that's kind of why I'm so fond of the concept of recovery these days, that I definitely, I think from a young age, had that concept, you know, that sort of very binary way that we can be encouraged to view the world, that people are ill or they're well, they're good or they're bad, they're a Disney villain or a Disney hero. And recovery as a concept relating to mental health embraces a lot of the ups and downs that actually there are times where you could have a new low, but that doesn't necessarily mean you're in a worse place than the previous one because there's all the context as, okay, well, is your support system different? Do you have better tools than you did? You could bounce up way faster. And ultimately it is about the sort of where you're going as opposed to who you are in any moment because we can all be guilty of thinking, I'm a piece of shit today and I'm not worth anything. And so whatever ways we can look at getting better in a broader way, I'm here for Yeah, I think that's that's why I prefer the word recovery to like finding yourself. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I'm here. Like, I'm here. I'm not lost. I'm here. I'm still me. And I did find myself and I was the same person. Do you know what I mean? Like, I didn't change. But I think recovery, the good thing about it is the way I look at it is you're recovering who you used to be. All the stuff you piled on top of yourself, all these different faces and masks you put on. Recovery is like peeling back those layers and getting back to really who I was in a way when I was 16 before my mum. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, trying to get back to that in a way, the younger version of me. Do you know what I mean? When I wasn't drinking and doing drugs and fighting and being miserable every day. Just sort of trying to be all right with just enjoy life. Do you know what I mean? I think that is what recovery is about more so than becoming a new version of yourself. Just going back to where it all fucking went wrong and just peeling back the layers and finding that person again, recovering them, pulling them back out and be like, hey, come here. Do you know what I mean? Have a hug, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I think that's what it is. For sure. And when you look back at that now, do you think the person you are today was, to some extent, always who you were going to end up being? This is going to sound like a meme, but I think something I can really relate to is I've seen it on the internet, Instagram or whatever, when someone said, what was it? Try to be now who you needed when you were younger. And I know it's a cliche and all that sort of stuff, but cliches are cliches for a reason because they've been said so much because they're true. And I can relate to that now because I've done some work with young people and stuff and I've had messages and it really hits me. Like, it's almost like I am being that person that I was, because I was them mm-hmm. when I was 16. I was lost. I didn't know what to do. So if I can help or give advice in any way to people in that position now, I kind of am doing that, what that meme said. Like being who who I needed. Instead of like me still being now, like I need this and I need that. Being that need for someone else is just as healing for me. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, it does. And I feel similarly that I think I was always going to be broadly the person that I am today and certain things I've been through like you've described I've maybe had to kind of come back to myself on I've had to circle back to what it is to be authentic what it is to be open about my emotions what it is to feel empowered and confident to make choices and so many things can steer us off that path and yeah definitely like yeah I think so ultimately I kind of feel like we're always going to be the person that we needed to be honest because that's like that's what we've got we're the consistent that we've always got moment by moment and you can be at war with yourself or you can try not to be and I work hard at choosing the latter yeah I think and there's another side to it like like if someone had said to me five years ago that now I'd be running poetry events I'd be a professional poet and talking about mental health I wouldn't have believed them like because there was a time I couldn't see a future. Mm-hmm. Like, I just didn't care. I couldn't see anything. I thought I was just going to drink until I died. Yeah, so that's the other side to it. It's like, it was a nice surprise. It sort of happened naturally. But yeah, if you had asked me five years ago, because I was, I was that guy that would tell people to man up and stuff like that and like, you know, tell myself to man up. So if you had told me that five years ago or longer, especially in my 20s, I'd have been like, what? Poetry? Go away. You're talking mental health. What's that? Do you know what I mean? Like, so that's another beautiful side of it is you don't know what's coming. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I couldn't see anything. And out of nowhere, what I'm doing now happens. So you never, you never know. 
And it's strange as well, even getting to know you better and getting to work together and you being like one of the first ever guests I had on the podcast. I think if we went back enough years, I don't think we would have ever got on because even though we came from in some ways parallel things in our lives and had like a very survivalist mentality of getting through a lot Mm. of our experiences a lot of that was also very isolating and was about putting up walls yeah i think if you would like if we had met 15 20 years ago we'd have hated each other like you would have hated me anyway like but that's the beauty of growth do you know what i mean well i think we would have reminded each other of our own sadness yeah it would have been difficult but I don't know, it's, it's strange, isn't it? That you can meet someone and sort of talk about this sort of stuff now that would we have got on 10, 15 years ago? Probably not. No, and yeah, I feel like we would have been quite similar, even more yeah. so perhaps at that point, because we were relying on a lot of the same coping, just, you know, different outlets, but same approach in some ways. Yeah, it's strange, isn't it? It's mad. Well, I'm glad we've got to where we are. <laughs> I feel yes. like it's a much better place of recovery we are today, so I'll fucking take it. <laughs> All right, should we wrap up there? Yeah, we can do. Cool. So tell the listeners all about, obviously we've heard about Mind Over Matter, so about how people can connect with that side of your work, and then also an incredible new project that I've heard so much about <laughs> through the process, and it's oh, finally I'm so excited. Here. Oh, my God. I'm so excited about it. <laughs> Go on, the floor's yours. Um, right. Okay, so Mind Over Matter, as we discussed, is an event I run in London and Manchester, more cities to be added soon, where we discuss mental health through spoken word, hip-hop and song. The easiest thing would be to go to the website, mindovermatterldn.com, or Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, the same, at mindovermatterldn. And yeah, have a look what's going on. We do some, we do some online stuff. Every Tuesday, there's an open mic on Instagram run by our resident psychotherapist, Anna Sinski. She also does a creative and psychotherapeutic workshop on Zoom every... I forgot what my day is. She keeps changing it. It's every week. Go, go on the website or Instagram and the information will be there. She's also a past guest on the show. So another yes, reason to go follow her. She's incredible. She is awesome. Yeah, and that's that's kind of it for the event side. Just go, if you go on the website, all the, all the information about what we do and who we are and the events is on there. Ah, oh, the musical... i'm so excited about i can't stop smiling when i fucking when i talk about it so yeah we started a musical it's called man enough which is the name of the first poem really i ever wrote the same day i started mind of a matter and it's something we've been working on for for about two years i think maybe more just before covid hit and i just woke up one day and wanted to do a musical that's just what happened. I just woke up and was like, right, how can I do this? Who do I need to talk to? And I, th- I remembered that I'd met this woman a couple of times through a mutual friend on the scene called Tash T, Tash Thomas. And I didn't have a number. I'd only met her twice. We got on. So I messaged her on Instagram and was like, can I call you, please? I need to, I want to talk to you about something. She's like, yeah, all right, give me a number. I called her and she was driving and we did the normal you know, like intros and pleasantries and that. Then I was just like, right, listen, I want to do Mind Over Matter, the musical. And she just went, <gasps> and at that point, I knew it was a good idea. I was like, yes, she's on board. And she was on board. And then she reached out to a writer, director that she knew called Michelle Payne. She was also instantly like, oh my God, this sounds great. Yes, 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 yes. And that was cool. And then us three met up to like, just talk about it, have a coffee and, and talk about it just before COVID. And, during that conversation, we all realised that we knew MEP, who's been on this podcast as well. Mm-hmm. So we all realised that we knew her separately, but Emmy didn't know that we all knew each other, but she knew all of us. <laughs> so we realised that and was like, right, let's have a laugh. And we took a, a <laughs> selfie of each other and just sent it to her and was like, all right, do you want to be part of Mind of Matter the Musical? <laughs> and she just texts back going, I don't know what the fuck's going on here, but yeah, I'm in. <laughs> And that's similar to Mind of a Matter. It's quite organic and easy. Like, do you know what I mean? It just sort of happened. Yeah, and now we're two years into it. We just got funding, our first funding ever. 
didn't have never had any for the events, something I'm working on this year. But yeah, we got funding from the Arts Council to do an R&D week, which has just finished last week. So R&D week is like research and development. So we get the actors in, everyone gets paid. We get paid, the actors get paid. We did it at Theatre Peckham. And it was like the week, I wasn't there for, for a lot of the week because I didn't want to be too close to it. Like I am too close to it. So I didn't, I didn't want to write it. Obviously we sat down, all of us well, sat down. Maybe you should share and what they, it's about. Yeah. So all of us sat down and they were like, just tell us about your life. And I did. So I remember it was quite exhausting. But I'm like, no, keep going, keep going. This is great. It's screaming to be made into a musical. Let's do it. <laughs> and I was like, all right. And we did that. So I didn't write it. But if you know me, there'll be certain things that you notice from my life. And if you know Mind of a Matter, there'll be things that you recognise. But it's, it's about, it's inspired by my life and inspired by Mind Over Matter. But more importantly, it's about men's mental health or just mental health in general. It's, it's about loss. It's about depression. It's about addiction. It's about not being able to access help. It's about that, which is my life. So it's, it's inspired by it, but I didn't want it to be like Fisky the musical, do you know what I mean? So <laughs> I didn't want to write it. I, I'm not a director. So we brought Emmy on board to do the songwriting because she's I don't know incredible. why I've got this vision of like Fisky the musical would somehow involve tap shoes and that would not be <laughs> you at all. <laughs> I said to Emmy that she's written better songs about my life than I have. And I'm all right with that because Emmy is incredible. Like as a poet, I didn't even know she rapped. She kept sending me all these raps. So I was like, when did you start rapping? she's <laughs> just incredible and the song she's written amazing and Michelle who's writing it has been really great really sensitive understanding she understands what it is she understands it's autobiographical and she's been very like I've had to to let go to a certain extent which is a big thing for me with Mind Never Mad it's very personal and I'm very protective of it but these are the right people to do it and you know it's going really well. Tash is choreographer and the other producer. I'm producing it and sort of some of my poetry will be in there as well. And yeah, and we did the R&D week. Then we did two showings on Friday, just on Friday the 10th of February, I think Maybe. it was. Maybe. Mm. <laughs> I can't remember the date. You know, my memory's low. And we did an industry showing in the afternoon, which went really well. And then we did like a bigger public showing in the evening, and there was a standing ovation. It was incredible to, to see it come from just me getting up one day and calling Tash, going, all right, should we do a musical? <laughs> to the ideas in that cafe, to getting Emmy involved, to half-written songs on WhatsApp, to getting the funding, to seeing it come to life with these incredible actors that we had. Love that. Yeah. It was just like, it was all positive feedback, which was great for everyone involved, like industry, public. It's not finished. It's a work in progress. Yeah, but it's given me the feeling I got when I first started Mind of a Matter and everyone loved it. All, all we had was positive feedback. And yeah, I think the next step is to apply for more funding, do longer rehearsals, so maybe three or four weeks, and then try and get a run somewhere. I think really that's the next logical step but we'll see what happens it's a new industry for me like I just keep wandering into new industries like I fell into poetry and now I'm in musical theatre just walking in going oh what's going on in here then like what's going on in here <laughs> and it's just so much fun man I'm learning so much and my dad used to be a producer he used to put on community theatre stuff when I was younger at his school and he always tried to get me involved but I was always too shy when it came to it so in a way it's kind of come full circle Mm-hmm. and now it's you know a lot of it's inspired by him which he would love if he was still here he would love that a play about me yes please he would love that <laughs> yeah so that's yeah that's where we are with that brilliant well I am beyond excited and I can totally relate just barging into whatever industry will tolerate you <laughs> has been very my life as well so like, hi I don't know what I'm doing but I'm here <laughs> Yeah, nobody asked me to do podcasting, but I'm definitely in it. I think I think that's a good way, though. The best way is to do it, right? Yeah. It's to just... And I keep doing it by accident. But that's how we came <laughs> up. We, did, we didn't come up being invited into plush spaces. We it's just it good out. fun. And I'm working, 
I'm work, working with Michelle's great because she's been in the industry for so long. She's done so much. And she's such a great director and writer. That yeah. it's, it's a privilege to be working with all of the people involved. Love it. It's all amazing. Right. Well, we will wrap up there. Thank you so much. I always love Thank you. to you. You too. Thank you for listening. For a list of our recommended resources, visit mentalpodcast.co.uk. And remember, we are in no way a substitute for qualified counselling or other mental health support. Our show is edited and produced by the brilliant Pete Murta with licensed music by NetSky. Links in the description. Speak to you next Thursday. And remember, you are enough.